Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own doctor. Prostate cancer kills more men each year than women who die from breast cancer. Yet the latest recommendations for screening are changing all the time, from the controversial idea of not testing anyone to the idea of selective testing for only a few. There are reasons that people may not be sure what to do next. The Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition can help. We have a panel of experts today, Steve Davidson, Phil Olson, and Dave Darris, all members and some survivors, who are ready to share their stories in the hopes of helping someone else. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, a story from Bob Templin, one of my own patients who wants to share his journey from diagnosis to survivorship and how he's working with social media to get the word out. Bob, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about how you were diagnosed with prostate cancer. I kind of remember when you were in the office and you were doing something totally unrelated and you said, Doc, I want to do a PSA. I was in your office for a physical for cataract surgery. And that's when I said, let's make sure we check PSA, cholesterol, everything. Sure. You wanted to get it all done thinking, hey, I'm here. I've got to do some blood tests anyway. Let's get everything taken care of. What happened next? After my cataract surgery, I came back to see you, and my PSA was 17.2, which obviously was quite high. You sent me on to see a Dr. Miller, a urologist, and we, you both thought perhaps it was um, an inflammation or an infection, so we tried uh, um, medication like an- antibiotics. An- antibiotics, sure. correct, for a, a month. Came back, it had gone down, but it still wasn't in line, so Dr. Miller suggested we do more, and I said, no, let's do the biopsy. I need, I need to find out where I stand and what's going on. So we did the biopsy, and they took 10 samples, and we came back. Six of the 10 were cancerous, all five on one side, one on the other side. So that's when I started what I call Bob's Journey. Bob's Journey. Now, this this all took place, place pretty quickly. You know, you came in, you did your cataract surgery, you had this other testing done, you tried some medication, didn't really work out the way you expected, and then the next thing you know, you start your journey. What was part of that journey? What was the first thing that you did? First thing I asked Dr. Miller was, who could I contact? How can I find information? He referred me to us two and Prostate Cancer Foundation. Both organizations sent me quite a bit of literature at no charge, and I felt I needed to educate myself to see where I stood. I think that's a really important point, which is, you know, once you found out, you said, I want to learn what to do. I want to hear what's going on myself. So let me get some information and educate myself. I want to be the person who knows what questions to ask. So you decided to go ahead and proceed with surgery. No, I did not have surgery. Okay, so what did you decide to do instead? I After after looking at my options and meeting with Dr. Miller, I met with Dr. Letter, my oncologist. We decided that I, he, they never actually asked me to do surgery, and I'm not real sure what my answer would have been. They felt there was a better way to go because my they think I had the cancer for about two and a half years. So they were talking radiation? So we went through hormone therapy, 25 days of exterior radiation, of which I was fortunate I had the uh, Calypso implant which is a new and novel thing. I think I've been like the 50th person in Hawaii to get it. And briefly, for those who don't understand it, radiation is indiscriminate. It'll kill good cells just like it'll kill bad cells. But the Calypso implant, they went in and implanted three rice grain-sized, basically radio transmitters, and it communicated with the radioactive with the machine, and the radiation is focused only on the bad cells, and it saves the good cells. 
If only we could do that for everything. Okay, so you had the radiation treatment that was performed. And what was part of Bob's journey as you went through this? You were emailing some friends. You were collecting your own personal support group. When I first found I was diagnosed, I wanted to get the word out because I didn't realize. I was 59, which is was actually pretty young. And I didn't know a bunch about the power of Facebook and blogs, so I just I resorted to emails. And I had a group of uh, 30, 40, 50 people. I started sending emails out and asked them to pass them on. And exponentially, it would get out to other people. And there's probably 40 or 50 of these emails over these many years that we've continued to pass on. And I went through each step of my journey. I was very open, told people what I was dealing with, um, the effects I might have had. Radiation had very little effect on me. I also went through a brachytherapy with the implanted 59 rice grain-sized seeds directly into my prostate. And I told everybody. I wasn't shy. If I had problems with my bowels, I told them I had problems with my bowels. But, but the biggest thing I told them was not to feel sorry for me. I didn't want that. I knew I could beat it. But my goal was to get the word out because too many men don't know how important it is to be checked. And it needs the word has to be out there. Now, this led you to doing something that, you know, you said email instead of Facebook or some of these other things. But then you got really techno-savvy, Bob. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now with YouTube. I was on the, on the computer quite a bit through various organizations. And I would just try to input if people had questions just from, just from my experience. And uh, Prostate Cancer Live, which is on Facebook and YouTube and have their own website, contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in doing a video to talk about my journey, and I told them I would. So we did the video, and they broke it up into five different videos, and it's been on YouTube, it's been on, uh, on Facebook, and actually, actually they've, they've done quite a few. There's me and a guy in Canada that are actual survivors. A lot of the other things they've done, they're mostly interviews with doctors and stuff. But it turned out it's got a lot of hits, a lot of people looking at it, and we've tried to share it and pass it on. And so it's my way of continuing to try to get the message out however I can. So how would, it, how would somebody access these videos? What could they look up on YouTube? How do they find you? You can just go to Prostate Cancer Live. You can do that on Facebook, on YouTube, or on their website. And just under the search, search in my name, which is Bob Templin. And so they'll be able to see you. Now, these videos, you said it was broken up into five parts. What really does it consist? You telling your story, going through some of the aspects of your treatment? What else do people see on the videos? Went through my diagnosis and how, how I dealt with that. It went through my treatment, how I dealt with that. Uh, there's a couple of messages on there about trying to word out about how I what did work with us two and PCF. I recommend a company called BlueCure.org, which I did not deal with. Um, that works a lot more with you. That, that guy was diagnosed at 30-some years old, and he's really pushing diet for people, younger people. So that, and then one, they asked me what I thought, and I put out my feelings about people getting checked. And I, I make a remark about there that, I'm afraid too many times now, and this is one of my big issues, is too many men are jumping into surgery. And it's like, you know, get it out. And I just don't think that's always the case. I'm very fortunate. I've, I went through this journey. I said they, they think I had it for two and a half years. I'm clear. I just had a PSA test last week. It was 0.3. I have no side effects. Everything works fine. And I just, I want more and more from people, just men to know that you've got to get educated. Don't just jump into something without taking the time to think about it. I didn't have a spouse, so I didn't have to worry about that part. But if you have a spouse, you've got to sit down and you've got to talk about it. So this was part of your journey was learning how to empower yourself to get educated and get as much information as possible from as many sources as possible so that you could make a decision that really resonated with you. That's correct. They say you get a second opinion. I decided I was going to make my own. I was going to be the second opinion. I very much trusted my doctors, but I wanted to make my own second opinion. And I, I studied hard. I worked hard at it.
I know for a fact that you did. <laughs> now, retrospectively, looking back on your experience over the last couple of years, what do you think, if anything, would you change? I don't know that I'd change. I've, I, there was a post the other day about uh, what questions wouldn't your doctors ask. Your doctors will work with you. They'll ask your, they'll ask your questions if you've got to ask them. And you can't ask them unless you educate yourself so you know what to ask. What do you think made the biggest difference during your journey? For me, I think it was two things. It was a great group of supportive friends and, and at the risk of patting myself on the back, a good positive attitude. I knew I could beat this. I had no doubt when I found out about it. And, you know, you're right. The positive attitude really does make a huge difference. I mean, from the point at which you were diagnosed, you decided this was not going to get you. That's right. I this was not going to take you down. I thought I was invincible. I thought I could never. My mother died of cancer when I was nine years old. She had it throughout her entire body. But I thought I was invincible. I could never get cancer. And all of a sudden, boom, here it was. And I thought, no, I don't have time for this. I was going through a divorce at the time, the whole works. And I said, I don't care. My life's going to go on. I'm going to make this better. And now people can find out more about your story, get inspired, go to Prostate Live. Prostate Cancer Live. Prostate Cancer Live. And find some more information and be able to tap into some of the resources that you discovered were helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's ways they can actually contact me through that. I'm more than happy to answer questions, do whatever I can. Fantastic. Well, you know, Bob, I really appreciate you coming on air, sharing your story with everybody because it is inspiring. And, you know, you have really had that positive attitude that a lot of people really, it's, it helps their treatment so much more than they imagine to really just be able to, to be as committed as you were to saying, that's it. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't, this doesn't get me. I'm going to survive. I'm going to not only survive, I'm going to thrive. So fantastic. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. If you or someone you love has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, there are resources to help. The Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition was founded by men who wanted to help other men, their families and loved ones, deal with the diagnosis of prostate cancer and find ways to learn from each other's experience. We have a panel of experts today, Steve Davidson, Phil Olson, Dave Darris. I'm going to have them all introduce themselves, but we'd like to hear from you, too. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu. We're toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Gentlemen, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I want to sort of start around the table and talk a little bit about how you guys came to be part of the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition and what you do now as part of that. So, Steve, I know we were talking a little bit earlier and you mentioned that you're in charge of the website, which I think is fantastic. Anybody that can create a website is a computer expert in my world. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the Prostate Cancer Coalition and what role you play now with the group. Well, I was diagnosed in February of 2011 and uh, treated throughout 2011. And um, I uh, became interested, as uh, echoing what Bob has just said, in getting the word out to men about prostate cancer and the importance of, uh, of being tested and of talking to your physician. Um, and so when I went on the web, started searching around, I found the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition and began to, uh, I contacted them, began to attend some meetings of the S2 groups. And my uh, particular interest in the coalition, I'm an officer on the board, but particularly I'm focused on awareness. Uh, you'll notice, I hope, that if you go by the uh, state capitol, uh, actually the uh, 
uh, Honolulu Holly. It's all lit up blue for September Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. The state capitol lit up blue, but not very well, so you can't see it very well. Uh, we'll be at the UH Fresno football game. Uh, and, uh, of course, we're here on this program, and all of which is uh, to get out the word to men and their loved ones about the importance of paying attention to prostate health. All right, and you're right. You contacted me and said, I want to be on again. You've, you're a recurring guest on the show, and you said, listen, September, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. We want to get the word out. So now you also created a website. How would people have a chance to go take a look at that if they were interested? Whyprostatecancer.org. Pretty simple. Uh, very simple. And um, we have useful information there, basic information about prostate cancer, what the prostate is, what cancer is, um, all sorts of links to medical information, to groups uh, all around the country that are um, uh, concerned with prostate cancer, uh, information about the latest events, such as uh, this program and other things that we're doing, we have pictures of the uh, of, uh Honolulu Holly, in case you don't get a chance to go by there at night. Um, what else do we have on there? Uh, we have some useful articles written. Uh, David Darris, who will be talking a little while uh, from now, has written an article recently. We have that posted on there. So a lot of good, helpful information to do what Bob mentioned earlier, which is educate yourself. Know as much as you can about prostate cancer if you or a loved one winds up developing this so that you can know what questions to ask and choose what treatment works best for you. Absolutely. All right, Phil, you are straight across from me, Phil Olson. You're the founder of the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. What made you decide to start a group like this? I was diagnosed by accident in 1989 when my FAA-designated flight examiner um, did an, a, a DRE, digital rectal exam, as uh, recommended by the CDC, and found that uh, I had a suspicious knob. Uh, it took three and a half years for a final uh, proof that it, it was indeed prostate cancer. By that time, I was not uh, subject for surgery. And I got involved in a lot of um, Department of Defense and other funding drives uh, on a national basis and it became apparent to me that we really needed a an organization in Hawaii to uh, to represent men and their families and their loved ones who are in need of better understanding because knowledge is power and that power protects us Again, another echoing the statement that Bob started with, Steve echoed you, you yourself. When you have information, you can make better, more informed Correct. choices. Correct. So what a great way to get people together so that they can find a source of information and also of support. Part of what the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition does exactly. is have support groups, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. All right, last but not least, David Darris, you're a prostate cancer educational mentor, and you're certified by the Prostate Cancer Research Institute. How did you come to be a part of this group? Because of my own uh, diagnosis of prostate cancer, which happened in 1996, and at that time, there wasn't much information available through the internet. And uh, in 1996, I was living on the island of Maui, 
and there was very limited access to uh, medical information for a man recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I uh, started inquiring and finding sources of information, and this led me to contact a nonprofit organization located in Los Angeles by the name of the Prostate Cancer Research Institute. And uh, they had a helpline, and through uh, information, I uh, was able to receive from the PCRI, Prostate Cancer Research Institute, helpline. I was able to get more information about my specific prostate cancer. And that's the key, gentlemen. You need information about your specific prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is not one disease. Prostate cancer comes in many different types, ranging from very low aggressive to aggressive. And you need to put in the effort to become educated to understand the biology of your prostate cancer so that you can work with your physicians to arrive at the most appropriate treatment for the type of prostate cancer you have. So, David, if I understand you correctly, part of what your mission is is really to help men get educated who develop prostate cancer, not just about the cancer in general, but really to individualize their treatment, to find out exactly their specific situation. And that's part of what brought you to the group. It sounds like, you know, to be honest, Phil, you founded this group. There wasn't one in existence before you started this. It sounds like there might have been on the mainland, but locally here in the islands, there wasn't that level of support that you were looking for. The American Cancer Society uh, sponsored uh, an organization called... Um, Man, man to man. Man to man. And um, it was faltering and getting very, very weak. And uh, I, I became interested. And the American Cancer Society uh, does a, a number of things to help our group as well as other cancer groups. And uh, it just seemed... Uh, not enough at the time, and we pursued the idea with the help of an organization on the mainland. And uh, there's there's a, a group called the uh, the National Alliance of State Prostate Cancer Coalitions. I was a member of that and became an officer of it, and uh, with encouragement and support from the NASPCC, I. Uh, called upon David Darris here as one of the first board members. We had board members from Kona, Hilo, Maui, Lihui, Kauai, and uh, several from here. All right. Well, I want to hear more about that in just a just a few minutes. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We've got the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition in the studio. We have Steve Davidson, Phil Olson, and Dave Darris. Some of 
Phil and Dave, some of the founding members. And when we come back after this quick break, we're going to talk more about how knowledge is power and how you can get the right knowledge to know exactly what to do if you or a loved one happens to develop prostate cancer. You can share your experience. You can join us today, 941-3689 on Oahu. Toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Financial news changes by the very minute. Domestic and global markets are crazy. China's not about to move away from buying U.S. Treasuries. The European Central Bank wading into the Spanish and Italian government bond market today. The whole debt ceiling debate made us look dysfunctional. We all know that. That's okay, though, because we're here. Marketplace, it's the business show for the rest of us. It's from APM, American Public Media. Weekdays at 6 p.m. Miss your favorite talk show? Get it on the Talk Show Archive. Whether it's one of the weeklies, Business of the Arts, The Body Show, Bite Marks Cafe, and Town Square, or The Conversation every weekday morning, it's on the HPR website. And if you want to talk back, the link to our email, Twitter, and Facebook are all there, too. Your favorite talk, it really is just a click away. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We're here today with the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition, and September is Hawaii is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. You might have noticed Honolulu Hale is turning blue at night in preparation and in support for those who are concerned and or who have had prostate cancer. Well, we've got some members here in the studio today. We've got Steve Davidson, Phil Olson, and Dave Darris. They've all had experiences dealing with prostate cancer and are here to help. If you want to share your story, they might have some words of wisdom to help you out. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. Now, Steve, tell me a little bit diagnosis and the potential for overdiagnosis. I think part of the current concern and the controversy is, are we diagnosing too many men with non-aggressive forms of prostate cancer and suggesting treatments that may not be as appropriate for them, or are we underdiagnosing? What are your experiences with this? Well, one of the curious things about prostate cancer is that you have the phenomena both of underdiagnosis and overdiagnosis. So in the area of underdiagnosis, you have men who are not getting tested, not talking to their doctors, and finding out, unfortunately, they have prostate cancer. And by the time they find out, it's because they become symptomatic. And uh, early on, and for perhaps for many years, there will not be symptoms. By the time they do find out that they have symptoms, uh, the prostate cancer may be well advanced. And at that point, they're fighting a holding action the rest of their lives to uh, remain alive and and minimize pain and like that. Um, and on the other hand, there is the problem of overdiagnosis. And, and some uh, people listening to this program uh, may have heard recommendations recently uh, advising against getting tested at all. And where that comes from is the fact that uh, some men get tested, uh, are diagnosed with a low-grade prostate cancer, uh, here they have prostate cancer, and their immediate reaction in the, to any cancer is, I want to get it out immediately. And uh, they don't become educated or they become minimally educated and um, rush into treatment. 
and um, the treatments uh, can have uh, very serious side effects, sexual side effects, urinary side effects, uh, can really uh, affect a man's uh, uh, quality of life for the rest of their life. And in some cases, in many cases, in fact, we're finding out that treatment was simply unnecessary. Uh, and we can talk about what the alternatives are to having that treatment. It's not, it's not doing nothing, uh, but not necessarily rushing into having aggressive, invasive treatment. And um, so then the recommendation has come out to not get tested at all. And there are many of us who don't think that's a very good alternative either. Sure. It's like the pendulum swung too far to the other side. First, on the one hand, overdiagnosis, maybe people getting procedures that may not be what they really need to do. There might be other alternatives, which we'll talk about. And then there's the idea of just don't test at all. Yeah. And and the idea being that um, the physician and the patient can't make a rational decision uh, once the diagnosis of cancer, even low-grade cancer, has been discovered. Um, and so to prevent people from rushing into treatment, let's not test at all. And it seems kind of illogical when you think about it. There are certain groups of people who, okay, maybe if you're 95, and I'm so excited if you're 95, because you've done something <laughs> great to get to reach that age and be that healthy, maybe you don't have to go looking for trouble. But if you're... 55, 65, otherwise in excellent health, even 75, and you want to be aggressive, or even if you just want to make sure that you're okay, no symptoms, but you're concerned, it seems to make sense to me that we wouldn't just ignore it. No, no, we don't want to ignore it because, again, uh, you may be harboring an aggressive cancer. You're not getting tested, and you find out when you begin to have pain in your bones. And that would be one of the symptoms. So mm -hmm. pain in your bones because prostate cancer tends to metastasize. And if it's going to if it's going to spread, where is it going to go? It's going to go to the brain. It's going to go to the bones. Those are the two big areas. So significant bone pain that is unexplained in an area that you're not too, too careful about uh, or you're not certain about exactly what the source is. X-rays can help to identify if there's what they call lytic lesions or areas where, pro where cancer of any type might have gone to the bone. Certainly don't wait until it's that bad where you can't walk or something fractures. So you mentioned that when we talk about treatment, try and find out if you're at risk and get tested early so that you don't have to face those issues. Yes, and there are some groups uh, such as African-American men uh, people who uh, have had uh, a history of prostate cancer in their family. There are some men who we know are at even higher risk, uh, but any man is subject to getting prostate cancer. In fact, uh, one in six men will uh, get prostate cancer during their lifetimes. And um, the best way to find out is to talk to your doctor uh, about your own particular risks, the risks and benefits of being tested, and decide whether you want to... Uh, have a PSA test and a DRE, a digital rectal exam. Uh, and we would recommend for most men that, yes, it's a good idea to get tested and find out uh, rather than uh, hope that you don't have it. Now, you mentioned and. So it's not an or situation. No. You should probably do both. Yes. All right. Well, Phil, there you were. You're a pilot doing an FAA exam. 
just a standard kind of protocol because you need to to pass the federal aviation uh, requirements so that you are generally considered in physically good health. Now, this was back in 1989, you mentioned. So this was almost before we started looking at a lot of these issues with prostate cancer in general and doing routine screening. What was your experience? Well, um, my initial shock at um, the aviation medical examiner's uh, comments uh, were uh, confusion. Um, I was uh, not not at all certain uh, what to do about it, so I went to uh, a doctor, and he said, we can't find it, but we'll do a biopsy. I had three biopsies of six... Uh, uh, needle samples each over a period of three years before it was finally uh, located. And then I was told it was too late to do surgery. So you had already found this in 1989, and it still took another, or did you find it earlier and it was 1989, it took three years to get diagnosed? No, no. I found it in 89, it took three years subsequently. From then, to figure out exactly yes. what was going on. Yes. And then after you found out you had it, you were told... It's beyond surgery's yep. capability. Yep. So what sort of treatment did you get offered? Initially, I was given external beam radiation. Uh, that uh, didn't really suffice, and it was followed by six and a half years of androgen deprivation therapy. And hormonal treatment, yep, which is supposed to delay yep. and or slow yep. the progression of the cancer because it tends to feed on hormones. And then I got involved in a very interesting clinical trial at the University of Illinois with uh, a, a vaccine made of my own uh, PSA and uh, blood. And I benefited enormously well for a number of years with an immune reaction that uh, caused the uh, the, the PSA to remain low, and uh, that's finally worn off, apparently. All right. Well, I want to talk some more about that. We have somebody else who wants to join the conversation. George from Kailua, Kona. George, welcome to The Body Show. Well, thank you, Dawn. Pleased to be on. Um, I'm a 70-year-old male, um, good health, active. I'm lucky in that I'm a private pilot, so I have had my regular... Uh, investigations with the fickle finger of fate every two or three years for the last 30-something years. Oh, I like the way you described that. The uh, What did you call it? Fickle finger of fate. Fickle finger of fate. Okay. So as a pilot, Phil's a pilot. I see him smiling over there. So you've had an evaluation done regularly as part of this required exam. Okay. And I, w it, I was progressing over several, several of my uh, biannual exams, and then it turned to triannual exams. Increased PSAs and increased enlargement of the prostates. Finally, got to the point where my my FAA doc insisted that I visit a urologist and I had the biopsy, and they found nothing. I mean, not even precursors. I was very lucky. I came out absolutely clean. But I I am one that believes that regular examinations after you reach a certain age, and I'd probably say 55 to 60, are probably a good idea. That's a lay perspective. I'm not a physician. Um, and when you get to talking about alternatives, I would like to hear if any of your panel has any experience or knowledge about cannabinoids in the treatment of prostate cancer. 
It's a good question. Okay. We'll we'll talk about some alternatives to the traditional treatment as far as whether or not that is something that they're familiar with. And certainly there's a lot of things out there that in some cases haven't yet been tried and in other cases part of a clinical trial. Phil mentioned he was part of a trial that was using his own body's immune system to attack a cancer. This was quite a few years ago. So there's a lot of stuff out there, George, that not everybody may be familiar with but doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So we'll talk about that when we talk about alternative alternatives to doing what may be considered traditional treatment. Well, thank you. I think this is a great show. I'm glad you're putting it on here. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling us, George, from Kailua Kona. If you've got a question or you want to join our conversation, you can at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now we're talking about, let's talk about alternative treatments because, you know, when we mentioned earlier, surgery is one option, radiation is another option. Phil, you were given androgen deprivation therapy, considered hormonal therapy. Then you were part of a clinical trial. What are some of the other alternative treatments that you know of? David, anything that you're familiar with? You're an educational mentor. There are um, other types of uh, traditional medicine treatments for prostate cancer. There's a treatment called cryosurgery, where probes are placed into the prostate gland and uh, the tissue is frozen. And uh, through um, freezing of the tissue, the prostate is destroyed, just as it would be destroyed by radiation uh, coming in and uh, causing the uh, destruction of the cells. There's uh, high-intensity focused ultrasound that can be used. Uh, this is a technology which is not FDA-approved in the United States, but it is used in Europe, uh, Canada, and other countries. So there are uh, various types of um, therapies uh, there are different types of radiation therapy. There's external beam radiation therapy. There's the uh, placement of radioactive seeds into the prostate gland, brachytherapy. There are new high-technology types of radiation therapy called intensity-modulated radiation therapy intensity-guided radiation therapy, stereotactic radiation therapy, cyber knife. Uh, The the technologies just keep coming. And um, a man who is looking into uh, treatment options uh, needs to become educated about what is currently available, what's involved in having the treatment, what's involved in possible side effects from the treatment. Now, so, Phil, you mentioned you took part in a clinical trial. How did you find out about this particular trial? Well, that was a curious um, um, and and very fortunate series of events. A friend of mine on the East Coast that I grew up with, uh, called me one night and said, have you heard about the clinical trial 
at the University of Illinois, Chicago, that is recruiting. And it sounds like uh, you might be qualified. So this was kind of word of yeah, mouth. It was word of mouth. This yeah. is probably pre-internet stage. I mean, I'm sure yeah. the internet existed, well, but I don't know if I knew how to use it <laughs> way back in the 80s. I don't think so. I think I started in the 90s. Precisely. So, it okay. was, it was uh, fortuitous. And uh, you needn't depend upon a friend to call you these days. There's a very good government-sponsored uh, program for uh, the latest and multitudinous uh, clinical trials that are available for prostate cancer, as well as other cancers. How do you find out about that, Phil? Uh, Clinicaltrials.gov. Clinicaltrials.gov. All right. So that's for not just prostate cancer. That's for anything. If you want to know if there's a clinical trial out there, clinicaltrials.gov. You can put in for the type of prostate uh, cancer you're interested in researching. Mm -hmm. So you you can get specific and And delve into certain. Okay. It's very strong. And, and thorough, and I recommend using it. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Arthur calling from Honolulu. Arthur, welcome to the Body Show. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? I've got two questions. I'm very interested in the Michigan treatment uh, where they took the the you know they made a vaccine of your blood. I believe that has recently been promoted as available here in Honolulu, but it's extremely expensive, you know. And um, that's one thing. And uh, uh, the other was once a fellow has his prostate removed and he has radiation, it seems like the only thing that most doctors seem to be doing is giving you chemicals um, that will lower your testosterone, right, to stop the cancer if it's still there becoming more invasive. Uh, I would like to know about where does Firmagon and Lupron fit in. And you are getting a smile right now because I think one of my guests might know a little bit about the Lupron <laughs> you're talking about. Yeah, so where about. does Firmagon and Lupron fit in, and are there any other chemicals that uh, could be injected into your body to perhaps lower or stop, um, um, you know, the cancer cells uh, seeking the testosterone in your body. That's about it. (laughs) Great questions, Arthur. The first one, it was in Illinois. They were doing the clinical trial using the immune system to help fill, you know, his own body, fight his own cancer. And that is something that they've done for other cancers as well. Um, I'd I'd have to say I don't know if they're doing it right now in the islands, but if they are. This was offered for, uh, I think it was in like $50,000 for the whole thing. Yeah, if they are, it's probably uh, fairly expensive. Very expensive. But a fellow says, well... uh, you know, do I sell off my old pianos and try and get another injection, you know, because the, the gentleman said that it worked well for him, but I'm under the impression the vaccinations don't work the same way for everybody. And so I'm busy trying to uh, collect all the information because I'm going through this right now. We are going to get you some of that information when we come right back after a quick break. I want you to stay on the line there, Arthur, though, because we might have some questions for you, too. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with a panel of experts from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. When we come back, we're going to answer Arthur's questions and answer a couple more on the line. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. My name is Dabney Goff from Whole Foods Market, Kahala. You often hear my voice during HPR's pledge drives, and I hope you'll join me for Celebration 2013. I think it actually makes my brain slow down a little bit because 
the stories don't accommodate for idle listening. They really ask you to pay attention and focus. Maybe it's hard to wash the dishes and really still hear what's going on and really get the whole story, but if you stop and really listen, it's a very deep and personal experience. Help support HPR. It's about what matters. The authors of The People's Guide to Mexico have been enjoying extended road trips south of the border since the 70s. They share advice for navigating your way around Mexico. First off, make sure you have enough time. It's not a place to race down. And guides from Italy share their frustrations about the state of gender equality in their macho culture. 95% of Italian men do not know how to use a washing machine. It's on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome back to The Body Show. I've got a panel of experts here in the studio, Steve Davidson, Phil Olson, and David Darris. They're from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition, and we are talking about prostate cancer. What's the latest in treatment for men and what's out there? What have we been doing? And how has it been working? We have Arthur on the line from Honolulu. He had two great questions. The first one was about the trial going on in Illinois. It is something that may be more widely available, however... Often insurance companies don't necessarily cover it if there's other alternative treatments, particularly those that are a bit less expensive. So available or not, it might be just not not reachable cost-wise just yet. But Arthur, you asked another great question, which was, tell me about those medications they give, those androgen deprivation medications, because prostate cancer tends to like the testosterone. It tends to grow more when you have extra testosterone in the body or even just a little bit. So, David, tell me a little bit about Lupron because and, and Fibrogon. These are treatments that are often done to reduce the amount of test, free testosterone available. Yeah. Tell me about Lupron. Okay. Uh, in the 1940s, uh, Dr. Huggins discovered that prostate cancer cells, both normal and cancerous, need the male hormone testosterone to survive. Back in those years, the only way to reduce the testosterone in a man's body was by surgical castration. I'm glad we've moved on from the 1940s. In, <laughs> since then, Medications have been uh, discovered which can temporarily stop the body's production of the male hormone testosterone. And uh, at first, it was thought that uh, by using androgen deprivation therapy, you were just putting the prostate cancer cells to sleep, that they weren't really uh, being killed. Subsequent clinical trials showed that androgen deprivation therapy, also called hormone blockage therapy, I want to make it clear that when a man is told he's having hormone therapy, he's not receiving any type of hormone. He's receiving medications which block his body from producing the male hormone testosterone. So it's kind of like an anti-hormone treatment. It's blocking therapy. Okay. And so and they started without, using that? Okay. Yeah. Without the um, testosterone to feed the prostate cancer cells, the prostate cancer cells die. Unfortunately, not all forms of prostate cancer cells 
need the testosterone in order to survive. So while the androgen deprivation therapy, hormone blockage therapy, can slow the progression, it is very rare that the man's tumor would be composed of only uh, cells that are sensitive to testosterone. So therefore, some cancer will survive, and after a period of time, his prostate cancer will start to progress again. So what we're talking about is temporarily, perhaps, forestalling that cancer from growing. And for some men, it can be many and years. And it could be years. Yeah. For some men, it can be many years. Now, the uh, author asked about Firmagon. Firmagon is a more recently FDA-approved medication to block the body's ability to produce testosterone. Lupron has been around for many years. It blocks the uh, production of testosterone. Firmagon in clinical trials comparing it to Lupron uh, has been shown to be more effective in lowering the levels of testosterone uh, quicker. And um, the uh, difference between Lupron and Firmagon is that Firmagon is only available in a monthly dose, so it has to be readministered every month. Lupron comes in different dosing. There's a one-month dose, a three-month dose, a four-month, and recently a six-month dosing. So it's much more convenient to not have to go in every month to have the uh, medicine re-administered. But they both do the same thing. They block testosterone, and they are both effective and anything up and coming on the horizon that you're aware of, David? Oh, there are many new drugs. In the last four years, five new medications have been approved by the FDA for the treatment of prostate cancer. There's a drug called Extandi. In order for this testosterone that Lupron and Firmagon is, is trying to suppress for uh, the any remaining testosterone has to enter the cancer cell by attaching to an androgen receptor. That's a chemical on the surface of the cancer cell. And Extandi, this newly approved FDA medication, blocks the uh, receptor site so that the testosterone that's remaining because you're still going to have some testosterone. You're not able to block every last bit of it. The testosterone can't get into, can't attach to the cancer cell, and there, was, there hasn't been any medication up till Extandi became approved that is so effective in blocking the androgen receptor, a tremendous uh, advance. Okay, so there's some things that are up and coming that potentially may become mainstream soon. This is proved, but the thing is that the drugs, as Arthur uh, alluded to, the cost of the 
vaccine is very expensive. The cost of Xtandi is very expensive. And the FDA has approved it for use, but under very specific test uh, situations. There were certain criteria that uh, were used to run the trial, and insurance companies will only cover the cost if the man uh, asking for the uh, Xtandi to be used has the same conditions that were tested for in the trial. And if he doesn't, then he, if he wants to use it, it's FDA approved. He can use it, but he can't get insurance to cover it. And these drugs are very expensive. All right. So it looks like we've got some information on what's coming next, what's available now, and still have some cost considerations to look at. Now, Steve, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you do next. So if if you're in a situation where you've you've been diagnosed with cancer what is active surveillance what does that mean and what what does that entail for somebody in that situation well i mentioned earlier that there's a serious problem of of overdiagnosis and and of over treatment really it's over treatment more than overdiagnosis uh so you'll have a man diagnosed with a low grade not aggressive uh prostate cancer and in many cases now uh, those men go on to treatment, including uh, some of these drugs we're talking about. Um, and rather than rushing to treatment, uh, increasingly we're looking at, in situations like that, active surveillance. So it's not a matter of doing nothing. Uh, the man remains under surveillance, uh, and it's an active surveillance. Um, and so the patient will continue to see the doctor. The doctor, let me just back up a second. So we have a case here where we have a non-aggressive cancer. There is prostate cancer, uh, but uh, uh, through things like the Gleason score and some other measures, we say it's, it doesn't look very aggressive now. Uh, and we know that many cancers, many prostate cancers are actually very slow growing and will not have an impact on the man uh, during his lifetime. Uh, we might have a man who's uh, 75, has got a 10-year life expectancy, and the first look at the cancer says, you know, he, this man will die of something other than prostate cancer. Uh, and so it might be recommended they have active surveillance in which they see the doctor regularly. They may have repeat biopsies. They certainly would continue to have repeat PSA tests and digital rectal exams. And if the prostate cancer starts to turn aggressive, then there's always still the opportunity to do um, some sort of invasive treatment such as radiation or surgery. But in many cases, um, the man will not need to have any of those treatments at all and um, will go on for the rest of their lives uh, under active surveillance uh, with prostate cancer that will really not have any appreciable effect on them for the rest of their lives. So this process of active surveillance, what you're really doing is saying, okay, we've decided we're not going to rush into any particular sort of a treatment. Let's go ahead and monitor you. And that's a really serious thing. You have to decide you're going to be really good about making sure you come in for your visits, monitor whatever testing that the doctor suggests that you do. Now, at what point should a prostate cancer patient be transferred from following up with their urologist to an oncologist? David, we were talking a little bit about what you do when you get diagnosed. 
Where does a medical oncologist come into this team? Medical oncologists are specialists in treating cancer. Uh, Urologists are uh, doctors who treat diseases of um, the urinary tract, bladder, kidneys, prostate. And in addition, they are surgeons. And uh, traditionally, uh, when a man has an elevated PSA reading, his primary care physician will refer him to a urologist. And the urologist will then take over the uh, care of that patient as far as his urinary problems and, in our case, prostate. Uh, If it's indicated that a prostate biopsy be done, the urologist will do that procedure. And once there is a diagnosis of prostate cancer made from the biopsy, the urologist is the first doctor the patient will speak with. And being a surgeon, urologists will very often, since they have been trained and they believe in the value of their uh, surgery technique to eliminate prostate cancer from the body, they will recommend surgery. Uh, As Steve was indicating, sometimes men just rush into treatment without doing further education on their own uh, specific tumor and agree to have surgery when other treatments might uh, be able to give a satisfactory or the same type of result as surgery with less potential for side effects such as urinary incontinence or uh, sexual um, dysfunction. So part of seeing a medical oncologist is collecting all your information, getting even more knowledge about what your situation is so that you can make the most informed choice as a team between your urologist, your medical oncologist, even your regular primary care doctor, a radiation therapist. So really, in that situation, you really want to come up with with a team, a A team of people that you can work with. That's exactly what's being established now. Uh, Hospitals, um, teaching institutions, are creating these team of doctors who sit down, review the man's complete uh, diagnostic records, and then make a uh, treatment recommendation after all of these different types of doctors have discussed the man's individual uh, diagnostic factors and treatment needs and arrive at a a suggestion for which treatment would be uh, most effective in treating the cancer with the minimum side effects. I mean, it almost seems like, dare I even suggest it, common sense. (laughs) I mean, get all the docs together. You're the radiation guy. You're the surgeon. You're the urologist. You're the medical oncologist. Let's all get together and make a decision at one time. And But despite what most people may think, that doesn't always happen. You might have a phone call with one doc and another, urologist, medical oncologist, radiation doctor, oncologist. um, But you may not have everybody in the room together at one time discussing the situation. It's up to the patient to find out 
you know, the name of the doctors, where they're located, to go to different office locations rather than have this team that receives. Makes it easier for the individual, exactly. All right, I see everybody shaking their heads like, yeah, we need to have this happen. Phil, you're thinking that. You bet. I think the patient can initiate this by asking each of his or her treating physicians to share with the other physicians that patient may be involved with. And I've never been refused by any of my physicians when I've asked them to copy uh, my other doctors. And I, I think this is a patient initiative that uh, ought to be encouraged. Well, and I think it's sort of going a step beyond, let me share my medical record, to why don't you guys who all see my medical mm-hmm. record talk about it together in a yeah. group. Yeah. They do have conferences, you know, in, they have usually, you know, I know where I'm at, we have these Monday conferences, they present a case, the surgeon is there, the oncologist is there, there's other individuals that are there talking about cases in particular, but not everybody's case gets that treatment. Mm-hmm. It depends on if they have a unique circumstance, something unusual about their care. So it sounds like we're just getting back to the basics. Get all the people in a room who were dealing with that particular individual, have them all come together and say, all right, Mr. Olson, here's what we think we ought to do. We've discussed it. Here's the pros and cons. Let's give you our recommendation and help you make this decision. Instead of it's up to you or it's all up to me, I decide. Let's make this a group effort. Amen. All right. Steve, any any final words of wisdom? I don't know if it's wisdom, but I will say um, with the problems of undertreatment and overtreatment, uh, don't suffer from either of those. Don't ignore your prostate health. Talk to your primary care physician if you're talking to your urologist. Um, make sure that you're getting PSA tested, get a DRE, and uh, don't uh, find out you have prostate cancer the hard way. Uh, And on the other hand, if you do find yourself diagnosed with prostate cancer, don't rush into any kind of treatment. Uh, Become informed. Get second opinions. uh, Read. Attend us to uh, support group meetings. You can find out about that on our website. And um, uh, Knowledge is power. Take your time. Absolutely. Now, we did have a caller wanting to know, how do you spell extandy? X-T-A-N-D-I. I wouldn't have thought that. Be great at Scrabble. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank all of you for joining me today on the show. Thanks again to Bob Templin, who shared his story, which can be found on YouTube. Thanks to the Hawaii Prostate Coalition. To all of you, Phil, David, Steve, thanks so much for taking your time today to be on the show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, www.hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about the Hawaii Health Connector. That's Monday at 5, right here on The Body Show. See you then. (music) 